And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that a power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. Uh, There's programming down the hall for them. And uh, to the rest of you, thank you for being here at worship uh, this morning. What we are doing is uh, we are going through our VBS series. We're pulling the, the, the VBS lessons that our kids will learn about the week of VBS, and we are uh, talking about them on the Sunday mornings leading up to VBS. And our VBS theme this year is uh, a wild life. And today, we get to talk about a wild day in the life of Jesus. It was a wild day for Jesus. Mark tells us that he had just crossed the Sea of Galilee, and as he immediately, as he stepped out of the boat, there's already this great crowd waiting for him. And in that crowd, there's a certain prominent man. Uh, He's the ruler of a local synagogue. His name is Jairus, and he comes with one of the worst problems you could imagine. The ruler uh, comes And he says, my daughter, she's about to die. We've done everything we know how to do. Would you please come? Because we know, we've heard about you. If you would just touch her, lay your hands on her, we know that you have the power that nobody else has. And we've heard the reports of what you can do. Surely, if you touch her, she will get well. Please come to my house. And so Jesus says, yeah, I'll go. And he goes with the man, and they're walking to his house, I assume, with some urgency with some haste. This is kind of like they've all climbed into the ambulance, right? And they are speeding and hurrying and to, to his house when suddenly they are stopped. And that's when our text begins. And it's an entirely different story that Mark puts right in the middle of this story about Jairus and his daughter. And, and people who study uh, the Bible for a living call it a Markin sandwich. Um, that, that gets you thinking about lunch, and I'm sorry about that, but um, it's where Mark will put one story inside of another story, and he does this other times in his gospel. And just like a sandwich, the flavor of the outer story adds to the tastiness of the inner one, and, the, and likewise, the inner one complements and adds to the outer one, or, or we could say it this way, uh, you can't have a BLT without good bread, and good bread begs for a BLT right? That's how it goes. And so the outer story here is Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter, and the inner story is about a much older woman who's been struggling 
with a health problem for 12 years. And Mark starts this inner story with that same mention of the crowd. It's a great crowd who followed him and thronged about him. It's the second time in just a few verses that Mark has told us about the crowds. And it means that there are a lot of people and they're all packed in around Jesus. They're up against him. They're pressing him. Everybody wanted to be close to him. They're pushing and jostling him. They're crowding around him. At one point, Jesus even turns to his disciples who are all around him, kind of like bodyguards, you know, going along. and And he says, somebody touched me. Who was it? And the disciples kind of give Jesus the business right back. I, I appreciated uh, how it was read just a minute ago because it's exactly right. They, 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 they kind of give it back to Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Who is it touching you right now? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. And that part was right. Everybody is crowding around Jesus in order to touch him. They're, they're in proximity to Jesus. They're crowding him. But, but here's the hidden part. They don't have any connection to Jesus. It's possible to be around Jesus all of your life, to worship Him, to go to youth group, to go to Bible studies, to to take trips. It's possible to even serve in His name. You can talk about Him and you can be inspired by Him. You can admire Him. You can do all of those things and, and do them even over a lifetime and you can spend your time crowding against Jesus and still never touch him. That's actually fairly alarming to us who have been around for a while at this thing, trying to follow Jesus. We can crowd around Jesus and touch him, but still never connect with him. That's the crowd. That's the crowd. But what we'll soon find out is that there's one person crowded around Jesus who was able to connect with him, and she touched him because she trusted him. And it's this woman who has this health issue. Verse 28 gives us what she was thinking. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Everyone else came just to touch Jesus. But this woman not only came to touch Jesus, but to trust Jesus. And that's the question we can use as a springboard today. Why are you here? Are you just interested in getting Jesus' autograph today? Are you just interested in hanging around, hopefully to get close enough to touch Him? Or are you here today because you've come with trust in His power? Are you here today because you've learned that Jesus is the only way to be made well, that only He has done the work necessary so that you can go in peace? You've come to understand that He's the only one willing to take your sin and your guilt and make you clean. Are you the crowd today, or are you the one today, here just to touch Jesus or to trust Him? And Mark gives us the difference between the two. It's a one-word test that will tell you right away if you're part of the crowd or in step with this woman and a person of trust. And the one word is this, it's faith, faith. Faith is what we need if we're ever going to have any connection with Jesus. At the end of this little inner story about the woman, after the woman reaches out and touches Jesus and is healed of her problem, spoiler alert, she gets healed, okay. Uh, Listen to what Jesus says to her. Daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. 
And I want you to note that. What made this woman well? Faith. Faith made her well. And so if it's faith that makes us well, then what is this thing? And how do we get it? And one of the things that we have here in this little story is a a handbook on faith. Jesus, with this little event in this wild day, teaches us what faith is and how to have it. And I want to show you uh, four ingredients today, four ingredients to a faith that makes us well. Here's the first one, resign. Just one word each time, resign. Look at Mark uh, 5, 25, and 26. There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had, but was no better. And rather, she grew worse. Mark tells us that this woman suffered from a constant bleeding for 12 years. She had probably something wrong with her reproductive system. A blood loss like this would have meant that she was almost constantly in a state of weakness and fatigue, and that would have been enough to deal with on its own. But Mark also tells us that there was something else she was suffering through. Did you catch it? The line is this, she was suffered much under many physicians. Oh, can anybody relate to that? (laughs) It wasn't just her problem she was sick from and sick of, she was also sick of all of these medical experts telling her that they could fix the problem. Because to this point, they had been all absolutely wrong. To doctor after doctor after doctor, she went and nobody could help her. A lot of commentators talk about all of the quackery that she would have been prescribed in that day, all of the cures that that they would have told her to to try, and they were all terrible and they were all useless. There's a a whole chapter in the Jewish Talmud that gives um, a whole list of cures. There's at least 11 of them for for women who are in this condition with this problem. One of the cures is this. Take a goblet of wine and add to it a certain powder that was essentially composed of this, uh, pulverized rubber and alum and garden crocuses. So you get all those together and you grind them up into powder and you toss it into the the cup and you drink up. And so that was kind of like a tonic. Well, that's not going to work, right? Here's another. It wasn't an herbal recipe. It was just flat out superstition. The afflicted woman was told to go and find an ostrich egg. I don't know where you find that, but you find an ostrich egg and, and you burn it and you carry the ashes at all times. In the summer, the ashes are to be carried in a linen rag. And in the wintertime, you're supposed to use a cotton rag. Here's what we know. When you hurt like this, you do whatever people tell you to do. Even if it means finding an ostrich, ostrich egg. She, she's tried all of these desperation remedies to the point that she's not just sick of being sick, but she's sick of her cures of being sick. Add to that one more disaster in her life. Mark tells us that chasing after all of these cures also meant that she has spent all of her money. And so she's at the end of her cures, and now she's at the end of her money. And this woman is just doing what you do. We go off searching for something in life, it's usually 
because there's some kind of trouble that has come into our life. There's, there's some kind of hole that we recognize. There's something that's off. There's, we have a problem, and, and everybody deals with this. We all have a hole of some sort or another, and so we go off and we try to find something in the world to fix it. We try to fill up that hole of emptiness in our life, and so maybe it's not a physical problem we have, but it's 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 spiritual, and so we find it. We try to work hard at our career to fill that hole up. We look for love in some person or something to fill that that void up. We look for security from the stuff that we can accumulate to try to fill that empty space that we have. And this woman was no different. She was doing the same thing, and she came to the point in her search where she finally said, "There's nothing out there. There's there." Nothing on earth can fix this. I am done looking everywhere else. And that's the place that is the first necessary ingredient to faith. Faith begins with us saying, you know what? There is nothing better out there. She realizes that all of those other salvations has have failed in the past, and they will all fail in the future, and so she resigns herself to that fact, and faith comes for us only when we do the same. It begins only when we resign ourselves to every other thing that we've been chasing after, hoping that they will rescue us. We have to come to the point where we look at the world and we're able to say, nothing out there can help me, and until we do, We'll never find Jesus until you're sick of being sick and sick of being sick of all your cures. There won't be any connection to Jesus. Resign. Here's the second ingredient, learn. I want you to notice in verse 27, it simply says this, she heard the reports about Jesus. Now, what does that mean? She heard. It means that she had gotten information about Jesus, that she had researched a little bit. Maybe she even went to a few as a potential cure that might actually work this time. Then look at verse 28. The ESV reads this way, for she said to herself. Uh, It's an unfortunate translation because we miss what's really going on. The Greek actually reads it this way. She kept telling herself. She kept telling herself. If I just touch his clothes, she kept telling herself. That sounds to me like she's building a conviction about what she knows. When people talk about faith today, when I just mention that word, one of the assumptions that's made quite immediately and automatically is that faith means that logic, especially in the church, when we use it in the church, faith means that logic and reason have been swept off of the table. In fact, I I challenge you to get out the most recent Webster's Dictionary or, or dial it up on your phone and just search faith. Here's what you'll find. It's on the screen behind me. It might be a little small, but I want you to point. I want to point you to the definition two B. Okay, the first ones are are what we would think allegiance to or duty or loyalty or fidelity to one's promises. And number two is belief and trust and loyalty to God. Here's two B: a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. So when a lot of people in our day talk about faith, two B is what they mean. They hear the word faith, and it means to them believing in something that you cannot prove at all, believing blindly. And it would have been really nice for Mr. Webster to consult a Greek dictionary before he wrote his own. 
Because when the Bible talks about faith, it speaks of faith in such a way that it is not opposed to thinking or reason or evidence, but is in fact something that is exactly in line with thought and logic and evidence and even goes beyond those things. That's what biblical faith means. And so why did this woman come to Jesus? Because she heard, because she listened, she gathered information, she learned. To have faith is to learn and then to act with that knowledge. It's not opposed to thinking. Faith requires thinking. Faith is not opposed to your logic or your reason. Faith is actually opposed to your fears. Let me, let me explain it this way. Let's say you come to uh, a great gorge uh, with there's cliffs on both sides and there's a chasm in between and spanning um, that divide is a rickety old bridge. I mean, it doesn't look like this thing will hold the weight of a twig, uh, much less your weight. And, and you're, you're with three other friends. And let's say that these three other friends all like the weight room a little bit more than you, so they're bigger. They weigh more. There's more muscle there. There's more weight to get across the bridge. And one by one, they go across, and the bridge actually supports their weight. And so it comes your turn. And by this time, you have all the information you need, Right? Those bigger guys, they, they, they went across the bridge and, and supported. You know the bridge can support your weight, but it's still going to take a ton of faith to step out and walk across that bridge. Faith is not against information. Faith is in line with the information that you have, and it actually goes beyond the information. Faith in Jesus is found in learning more about him. It's studying who he is. It's in gathering all the information. And then it's acting in line with what you've heard. If you're, if you're new to this faith thing, can I just encourage you to keep learning? Keep gathering the evidence. Keep hearing about Jesus. That's what this woman did. She learned. And then she acted. And she actually, when she acted, she took aim. And that's what we're going to use as our third ingredient, just aim. And this is a crucial one. And, and I'll sum it up first, and then I will explain it. The summary goes like this. It is the aim of your faith that will save you, not the execution of your faith. Now, what's that about? Okay, Look at this woman. One of the things that we can say about her without too much doubt is that she has a lousy faith. It's terrible, as a matter of fact. Verse 28, she says this, even if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And so, in part, this woman believes that a very common idea in the day that the clothing that somebody wore carried the power of the person. And that was especially a trusted idea when it came to rabbis and religious leaders and somebody like Jesus who was walking by. The cloaks of Jewish men were fixed with tassels on each corner. Uh, there were four of them. There's a passage in the book of Numbers that prescribes that tassels of the color blue be attached to the four corners of every cloak so that the wearer will see the tassels 
and remember the commandments of God and not to go chasing after his own heart. That's what the tassels were there for. And so tassels were significantly special. And it's probably one of the tassels on the cloak of Jesus that she reaches after. And you can see it. She can, you, you can hear her mind working. If I can just touch his tassels, if I can just touch his garments, what is that? That's superstitious. That's what it is. It's really not unlike some of the other remedies that she's been given. Carry the ashes of an ostrich egg. Oh, okay. What if I touch his cloak? It isn't all that different. And so her faith is anything but perfect. That's what I want you to see. It's superstitious. It's weak. It's flawed in its reasoning. She really does not know who is in front of her, even though she knows that there's some power here. But what she comes with is enough. It's enough. We read that as soon as she touches Jesus, verse 29, she could feel in her body that she was healed. And when Jesus finds out that it was her who touched him, look what he says. He says at the very end, your faith has made you well. He doesn't say, okay, now that you're healed, I want you to have faith in me. He doesn't say, now you have the proof that I am the Son of God, so now you should have faith in me. No, no, no. He doesn't implore her to now have faith as if it never existed. No. He says, I healed you because of the faith that you had. What a great thing for us. It means that she came with a faith that was feeble and anything that was perfect, but she was healed anyway, and so the faith that she came with was enough. We could say it this way. It's not the strength of your faith that matters. It's not the quality of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. It's not believing with all your might that matters. It's believing in the right thing that matters. Oh, man, you can be sincere about a lot of stuff that, that won't get you anywhere. If you're going to be sincere, be sincere about the right thing. It's all about the aim. Let me give you another picture. Three guys are on a cliff, and uh, let's say they're being chased by a bear, okay? And there's, there's uh, water below the cliff. There's some body of water, and there's a boat bobbing in the water. And the cliff is high enough that the first guy says, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die up here because the bear's going to get me, but uh, I'm also going to die if I jump. I, I just don't see any, any, any way that I survive this, but I really don't want to get eaten by a bear. So he jumps. Turns out he survives, and he swims to the boat, and he's, and he's saved. The second guy sees this, and he says, well, wow, that guy made it, and this is pretty high, but I guess I got about a 50-50 chance. And so, I don't want to get eaten by a bear, so I'm going to jump. And sure enough, he, he jumps, and he's fine, and he climbs into the boat. The third guy has seen the other two, and he has all the confidence in the world that he can survive the jump. And so, he jumps, and he's fine, and he climbs into the boat. And so, guy number one didn't have but the very tiniest faith that the jump could work. Guy number two had some faith. Guy number three had all the faith, the fullness of faith. Here's the question. Is one of them more saved than the other two? Answer, no. Not at all. They're all equally saved. 
not because of the amount of faith that they had, but because they jumped. Why is this woman healed? Because she came. How much faith do you have to have in Jesus? Just enough to come. And there's great comfort there. Oh, the comfort is this, that in order to come to Jesus, you don't have to look at your faith. Oh, so many of us, I think all of us have traveled this path. When we came to Jesus for the first time and we learned about Jesus, we instantly started evaluating our faith and weighing our faith and measuring our faith. Oh my goodness, if my faith is not up to, up to a certain standard, then I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I can come to Jesus. My faith is full of doubts, my, my faith is weak, my faith is full of fear, I don't think I'm ready That's what we say. Man, you don't have to do that. When we frame up the gospel around here, we say it this way, that we're saved by grace, through faith, in baptism, and for good works. And did you catch the faith part? We're not saved by our faith. We're saved through it. Through our faith. Faith is what connects you to the saving vessel and Only the amount of faith you need, all that you need, is the tiny amount that it takes for you to jump. It's not the size of your faith, but the object of your faith. It's where you're aiming that matters, and real faith requires aiming in the right place. The woman just had enough faith. It was a scared, it was a superstitious faith, but it was enough for her to come up behind him in the crowd. That's what the text says. And she reached out and she touched him. Faith is whatever tiny nudge it takes for you to simply admit, I'm sick and the world has no cures for me. There are no other doctors that are going to help me. And so I need Jesus. That's the right aim and it's the aim that matters. Here's the final ingredient. The word is trade. Trade. Faith is about trading something. One of the most intriguing things about this whole story is the line where Jesus is surprised. You, you can see his face in your mind when, when, that, when you read it, when it happens. The, the woman touches Jesus and she's healed. And Mark chapter 5 and 30 says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? It says that Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. What does that mean? I, I'm not sure that anyone understands what that fully means. But we can for sure say this. When Jesus felt that power had gone out from him, it means that he was missing that power. I worked all week on that. Are you proud? That's brilliant, right? Jesus felt the power had gone out from him, and it means that he was now missing that power. Here's what it means. It means he felt himself get weaker She touched him, and he got weak. She got strong, he got weak. Now, that's not the way the movies go. I want you to go back to the most recent superhero movie you've seen, and I want you to insert the the hero or the heroine's superpowers, you know, in your head, whether it's flying or freezing or running or lifting or seeing or hearing, whatever that superpower is that that hero had, 
the, the superpowers that the heroes have in our stories always make that hero, that character, more invincible, more victorious, more indefatigable, and more powerful. Uh, but that's not how it goes here with Jesus. It's exactly the opposite when Jesus, when, when she reaches out and she touches him, he doesn't swell up with power. No, he loses his power. And so, of course, he, he would stop and say, whoa, 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 what, what was that? Somebody, somebody touched me. That's what he did. For her to get strong, he feels now weak. Something happened. Mark says that this woman has had this flow of blood for 12 years. And so for 12 years, she struggled, she searched for cures, she spent her money, and it also means that for 12 years, she hasn't been able to go to church. The kind of issue that she had meant that she was perpetually unclean before God. The whole time she was suffering, she was ceremonially unclean because of the blood. And in that state, she would have been unacceptable to be in the presence of God. She could not go to the temple. She could not worship. She could not go to church. Likewise, anyone who would touch her would also be unclean and unacceptable to be in the presence of God. And so, get what's happening. This unclean woman, unacceptable God, comes and touches Jesus it's probably why she tries to do the whole thing in secret. She says to herself, nobody has to know. I'll just sneak in and I'll touch one of his tassels and I'll sneak out. But, but sin can never do that. She touches Jesus and he instantly knows it. And uh-oh, the Jesus who is never unclean Jesus who is perfect and acceptable before a holy God, Jesus who himself is holy, is now touched by uncleanness. He's now infected by sin. And so what happens? Mark says an amazing thing, that she was healed. Jesus says later, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This unclean woman is now clean. The sinful woman wasn't rejected. She was healed. And so we have to ask, okay, what happened to her sin? Because her uncleanliness just didn't just disappear, right? Her unacceptability before God just didn't get swept under the rug. No. What happened here is that Jesus took it. He took her uncleanness and she got strong and healed because he got weak. He took her sin, and she got his holiness. And that's the trade. That's a taste of what Jesus will do for her and will end up doing for you and for me on the cross. In 2 Corinthians, it's written this way, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The only way she could become clean, the only way you can become clean, the only way I can become clean is at the expense of Jesus. He trades his righteousness for our sin. And faith is simply making that trade, giving him our sickness and getting well in return. 
So what, what have we laid out here today? That, that to be made well, to go on our way healed, means that we need a connection to Jesus. And how do you connect with Jesus? You have faith. You trust in Him. Faith just means trust. Faith is that I trust that Jesus is the only one who can save me. Faith is that I trust that Jesus is the truth to base all of my action on. Faith is that I trust Jesus alone has the saving power, not me, Him. He's the object of my faith. Faith means that I trust that Jesus has paid the cost by taking my place and paying the penalty that I should have paid. The gospel is that Jesus chooses to die for you so that you can touch God, so that you can be as close to Him as possible. Jesus died so that you can be a part of the family of God. All of your sin and guilt and uncleanliness gone. Now you have a new position before God and a new inheritance. The invitation is this today. It's time to be made well. What does he call her at the end? He doesn't call her unclean. He doesn't call her unwanted. He doesn't call her unworthy. He calls her daughter. It's the only time in Scripture that Jesus ever called anybody by that title. Daughter. Today there are daughters that need to be made well. Today there are sons that need to be made well. Resign yourself. Learn. Aim in the right place. Make a trade. It just takes enough faith to come. That's all. And be made well. God, thank you for making a way for us to get well through faith. Faith is trust. Trust that Jesus saves. Trust that Jesus is true. Trust that Jesus has power. Trust that Jesus has taken my place. God, help us to have just enough faith to come today, to come up behind Jesus and reach out and trust him and be healed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together.